Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, Demovi Kugo, back again with my guy, L. Each week, we'll be discussing topics from around the soccer world and giving you our unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we're joined by Director of Partnerships for Detroit City FC, the most popular team in America, uh, TJ Winston. <laughs> Uh, we'll be hey. getting to know all about TJ. Uh, we're talking USL's new ref share model, uh, abolishing colonizer ball, and saluting FC Tulsa's Michael Insian for Black Soccer History. TJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, fellas. I appreciate you all having me on. Um, it's an honor. So uh, thank you for repping, L. I'm repping, as you can see, and uh, look, look forward to the conversation. For sure. Nah, respect. You know, it's all about repping you know sharing each other's passions and all that but you already prepared for it first question we ask everybody when did you fall in love with soccer <laughs> um man so i am prepared for this uh because i've been listening to the show uh but uh, i actually fell, fell in love with soccer later on in life so i played soccer when i was about four or five years old um in detroit but in sports throughout middle school and high school um, but I went to, uh, France the summer of, uh, 2010. Um, and so it was world cup time and I got to, to watch, um, a world cup match in France. or so in the city of pont la um, at just like a pub. And I was like, wow, these people love uh, soccer. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Um, so when I came back from France that summer, um, my boys were watching it, uh, just kind of in our apartment, um, in college. Um, and I was like, man, this is this is exciting. It's fun. They were playing FIFA a lot that summer. Uh, so I just got into the game a little bit more. Um, and, you know, I, I, I started following uh, the different World Cups uh, throughout the years. But, you know, I stayed kind of a fan at the at the World Cup EPL level until honestly, until I joined uh, MLS. So um, I, I say I first fell in love in 2010, but uh, didn't didn't really get into uh, just the, the full soccer culture um, until recently. Oh, okay, I see. Do you remember what game you were watching in France? Because I know 2010 was a tough uh, World Cup for France. Man, that is a good question. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Um, I, could, I could place it back because I was there at the start of the summer. Uh, so it may have been like a group stage game, but I, I just I cannot remember at all. No, there's no way I can remember that. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Uh, I wasn't doing it to like test your knowledge. I was just interested in like, was it a U.S. game or like France? Because I know France was, it was a bad time during that during that World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it was a U.S. game at all. I think it was uh, just France playing someone. But um, yeah, I can't remember unfortunately. But that's that, that's where I first fell in love. Uh, whether whether I remember the teams or not, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's what it's all about. So, you know, give us some context. Give us a little bit of your background. You mentioned, you know, sure. starting in soccer and moving on up, going to college, working in MLS. Like, how did you get to where you are now? Um, man, this, the journey started um, when I was young, man. My dad, he played he played American football. Um, and he played at Wyoming. He played semi-pro um, here back in the day in like the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and, you know, and I, I love sports growing up, but he always told me, you know, you want to be the person who's signing the check um, and not the person who's receiving the check. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, so maybe there's a business behind this, behind this here sports thing. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I played growing up different sports, but 
Um, didn't really get involved in, in the business side until college. Uh, interned with the Detroit Lions um, here in Detroit. So I'm from Detroit, born and raised. Um, and then I worked um, at Nike uh, my, my summer, my junior year in college. And that that really kind of set me on a whole different trajectory in terms of understanding uh, the scope of the business um, and all the things that you could do um, in, in the sports space. So did that, uh, came out of school, I worked at Target, worked at Nike again, um, and then went back to business school in New York at Columbia. Um, and the reason I did that was I was really trying to figure out hey, um, I love sports. This is great. I like working at Nike. The parks are awesome. Uh, but but what, what? where are the areas in the sports space that are innovating? Um, where are the areas where, um, you know, technology is being used, uh, where folks are investing? And what, what I've seen in, in a lot of my discovery in the space is just that um, it just seemed like at the time, this is 2015, there was some innovation coming in, but historically, you know, just, I just say owners in the space. So owners just generally, um, you really don't have to do much if you're an owner in sports, right? Um, you know, people are going to come out to your games, you know, people are going to watch, you know, people are going to be passionate. So there's really no incentive um, to, to invest. And so um, I looked at the areas that, that were innovating and, and those were, you know, just tech kind of generally, uh, venture capital and the digital media space. And I was like, all right, well, these are the spaces I want to get familiar with. I'm going to go to business school to figure out you know, how to get more familiar with these areas and also to, to figure out how to become a better leader uh, just professionally. Um, and that's what I did. I um, ended up working at uh, Microsoft, uh, Madison Square Garden, uh, Courtside Ventures, as you mentioned uh, previously. Um, and in all that time, I was like, hey, when I come out of school, I really want to be at a growth company. I want to be at a company that's growing. Um, I want to be in an area of the sport industry that's growing. And I wanted to work in digital media. I kind of figured that out uh, through my discovery. And uh, that, that landed me in MLS. Um, my, my manager at MLS, he was a Michigan grad, and his boss was a Columbia grad. So it kind of, <laughs> kind of worked out from that standpoint. Um, but they had a digital media partnerships team that they were building out. And they were just like, hey, you know, you can kind of be our first hire here. Um, and it made a lot of sense to me in terms of what I wanted to do. And I, I saw soccer, uh, MLS as as a growth league um, and as a growth sport um, in this country. Oh, that's amazing. Can you talk about that transition? That, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So I was just going to say, so then <laughs> coming to DCFC, because uh, it did end at MLS, obviously, um, I just, uh, you know, I, I kept in touch with um, the owner, Sean Mann, uh, one of the owners of DCFC. We had met a couple of years back um, in New York. And, um, you know, I always thought like, you know, going home would be awesome uh, to take like all the knowledge I had learned from a bunch of different experiences and apply it back home. And, uh, you know, he ended up having a position in the pandemic kind of accelerated my wife and I coming back home. Um, and, uh, you know, things just kind of fell into place. So uh, here I am now. No, oh, that's amazing. So can you talk about like, you mentioned Target, Microsoft, uh, MLS, Courtside, all these different big time corporations. And it's a testament to your skill set and uh, your personality and all the wonderful things you've done. Talk about like the specific roles and how it's helping you right now with your current role with DCFC. 
Sure. Um, so, you know, I think if you look at my career, I don't know if I did this intentionally. I guess if I if I don't know if I did it, I probably didn't. But I started out like at these really big companies and then I've kind of drilled down to, to smaller, more more niche companies as, as I've gone along. Um, and, you know, just starting out at those big companies, you just learn corporate culture. You learn corporate structure, you learn hierarchy, you learn all the jargon. Um, but you know, I think specifically at Target, um, I was a data analyst there, um, and um, I helped keep product in stock at our store. So I was ordering and forecasting product and sales. Uh, so there was a lot of vendor management relationship that I learned there, but also telling stories with data, which I think is really key um, to any role in, in your career. Um, similar similar uh, role at Nike, I'm going there. Um, and then going to uh, going to uh, business school, you know, I talked about um, just kind of learning the structure of being a leader and the framework there. Um, and you know, I'd say, I, you know, I went to Microsoft because I really wanted to learn more about the esports space. Um, you know, I talked about just being at at the forefront of innovation in, in sports, and so um, I worked on the Xbox team at Microsoft and um, got to go to. Uh, a, a really big um, esports e conference um, out in in Beijing, actually, while I interned there, and they, they allowed me to do that. And I only worked there for like two or three months, uh, which was an amazing opportunity, man. Um, and so that was awesome, just getting that experience and seeing that passion uh, for esports um, across the globe or around the globe. Um, and then courtside, courtside was interesting because it really taught me um, how to look at companies and evaluate different business models. Uh, but, you know, I, I like to say um, I'll probably review close to a thousand companies while I was at Corsi. Um, and a lot of those, it's crazy. And a lot of them just came across our desk. Like we didn't have to reach out to anyone because at the time there, there weren't a ton of VCs specifically targeting sports startups. And so if you're in sports and you know you want VC money, you're coming to courtside, um, and, and a couple of others. So, um, you know, I, there was a lot of deal flow, and so I, I saw a lot of different companies. I was like, ah, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. I thought some things make sense. Brought it to the partner, and they're like, no, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, so, you know, a lot of that. But um, that evaluation was was really key and interesting for me. Uh, but then also just being on top of trends. Um, and that's what really got me to to kind of where I am now and understand and looking, being able to identify trends um, in different spaces um, and kind of identify where where folks are going. And you can kind of see that with the different ideas that people have, um, consumption patterns in the digital media space, especially. So um, that kind of helped me get to MLS. Um, and then it, again, my role now at DCFC is a, a bit more comprehensive. It incorporates the digital media space, but um, it also includes sponsorship and includes community and cultural partnerships as well. Oh, that's that's amazing. So can you talk about, I mean, at MLS, obviously it's not the big four. You're not NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL. So talk about that when it comes to like um, selling and getting like, mm -hmm. sponsorships and stuff like that. And then now in your role with DCFC, the most popular team in America, but still, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's Misa, you know, it's not. So how like how are you, how do you make how do you make your magic magic happen? 
It's it's storytelling. It's storytelling um, in a way that uh, you know puts puts MLS in in the best light, right? So when I was there, so you know while we were there, you know we talked a lot about how um, yes, we're not MLB and we're not NFL, we're not NBA. Um, you know at the time we were, we were probably on par with with NHL um, in some regards, but. You know what? What you can tell folks is, which is true, is like, hey, we have the the in terms of just consumption, who comes out to our games, who watches our, our matches, uh, we have the youngest audience out there, right? Um, it, it just it just showed in, in the data that, that we have one of the younger audiences, uh, for, and we were more family friendly than a lot of other leagues as well, just in terms of ticket prices. So um, that's one way to get people in, um, and then and then in my world specifically, it was just like, hey. Uh, because we have this young audience there, they are native um, to digital, right? They understand digital media. And so um, if you partner with us, you're, you're getting a, a passionate fan. I'm a loyal fan and a fan who really understands the space. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not like, I, I don't know, you know, what, what MLB doing a deal with Bleach Report, right? It's, it's kind of like if we're, we're MLS, we're doing a deal with Bleach Report. Our fans are already on Bleacher. Uh, uh, consuming content and so it only makes sense for us to to do something together so um, you know that's that's kind of how those are those are some of the stories we told again using using data um, and then now at DCFC um, you know you talk about us being the most popular popular club in America um, you know we, we we talk a lot about you know the, the really the, the community um, aspect of this club how this club was founded um, you know, by, by Sean and a couple other owners who, who ran just a, a neighborhood uh, soccer league here. And they were just like, hey, you know, Detroit needs, uh, Detroit needs a soccer team. This was back in 2012. Um, and so he ended up putting it together. And so this club was literally birthed out of the community. And so we're very community centric. Um, and then uh, that kind of fits in terms of our growth trajectory with the trajectory of Detroit, um, a city that um, a lot of folks are saying, well, Detroit is back. Well, as a native Detroiter, I like to say it's never left. Yeah. Uh, but there are some really positive things going on in the city right now. And I think DCFC is one of them. So uh, we're, we're a growth play. And, and so um, I really, uh, that's one of the stories that, that I like to tell as well. No, that's amazing. I was in Detroit uh, just like a couple months back. And uh, I, it's not like I grew up there, so I can't say it's always been there. But I was like, yo, Detroit's a little vibe. Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> to the StockX thing. I, I checked yeah. out Motown, did the little fork. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of things moving. So, wh so where do you guys see yourselves? Because you guys are aiming for the top. You guys are doing a lot of cool things against the grain. Um, I don't want to say a cult following, but you know, when I talk to some of my friends that have played for um, DCFC or, you know, played against you guys, they're like, you know, I'm not even going to lie. It was it was lit. Like, that stadium was <laughs> a, yeah. a lie. So what do you guys have planned moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really more of uh, building this club through the community, right? It, it's it's growing this club through um, – through the community, but then also just growing the general brand awareness of the club. So um, it's kind of it's kind of a dual path. So I was brought on to to do just that, um, grow grow the brand awareness of the club, but then also um, really really tighten our, our grip on the community here, um, and specifically the Detroit community. 
Um, you know, one of the general problems that, you know, we've all, I know you all talk about it. I've seen it in, in soccer is just the, the lack of access uh, sometimes for, for the black community um, in, in the inner cities. And we're in Detroit, right? Detroit is 80 plus percent black. And so um, there's no way we should, we should have a club here um, and not have, um, you know, not have the black community over indexing in terms of uh, participating and coming out to our matches and really, really knowing who we are and what we stand for. Um, so that's, that's, that's next for us, right? That, that's what we're currently working on. That's what's, what's been working on, but, you know, I'm here to kind of help accelerate that. Um, and, and I'm doing that through, through the lens of partnerships. Um, and also just, um, you know, really bolstering um, a lot of our community efforts as well uh, that are going on here. Wow, that's amazing. Is there any specific campaigns or collaborations you can speak on or that you're excited about, you know, in terms of engaging uh, the Black community as it pertains to Detroit? Yeah, um, a, lot, a lot of those are, are on the way. Um, I'm, so I'm four months in. So I started in November. Um, and so we're, we're making a lot of good inroads. Um, but what I will say is that, you know, before I even came here, and, and the, again, the foundation of this club um, is, is youth-centric in terms of um, our youth programming. And so we have a ton of different programs every year that sees roughly, it sees several thousand participants um, in, the youth, in the youth space uh, that come through our doors, come through our field house, come through our stadium um, in terms of participation. Um, you know, one thing that, that I certainly can speak on that we have a, a relationship with is uh, we have four, uh, we have four affiliate clubs, youth affiliate clubs. One of those uh, youth affiliate clubs is based uh, right here in the city. And um, we are, we're partnered with Detroit PAL, so the Police Athletic League, um, to source uh, kids from, from PAL uh, to play for our team. So um, it's, it's a very diverse team and, and they're really good. Uh, so that's just one thing, but uh, there's there's a ton of other pro, other programming as well, starting at ages two, going all the way to, to age eighteen. So, uh, we're doing a lot here, but um, again, it's my job to to amplify a lot of that. No, that's that's amazing. Um, so apparently, we are your boss technically, <laughs> uh, according to what you, you are. Twitter, you know, so talk about this equity crowd crowdfunding campaign. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, I'm going to keep harping it. DCFC, the most popular team in America. Uh, you guys did a, <laughs> a, a very cool equity crowdfund. So can you talk about that process and the 2,500 new uh, bosses you got to report to? Yeah, that's the reason I did this podcast. I was like, I got to get on the podcast with my bosses, man. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, man, look, it was... Uh, you know, again, I, I wasn't around when, when the, the campaign kicked off, right? And when it was birthed, but um, it, it was birthed out of the pandemic. Um, starting last spring, the, our, our spring season was canceled and Nisa um, and our ownership group was just like, hey, um, we have we have this really strong uh, community tie, um, but we're also, there's, there's, no, there's not a lot of revenue coming in uh, for the spring season. So what, what can we kind of do uh, to, to kind of marry those two things. And, um, you know, the, the, the crowdfunding campaign was birthed out of that where we said, hey, uh, we'll offer a certain percentage of this club to our fans, uh, which will help bring in some revenue for us. Uh, but then also um, truly, truly uh, put, put your mouth where your money, put, put your money where your mouth is um, in terms of your fandom and your support for this club. Um, so and that's how things kind of came together. 
Um, and, uh, you know, the results were just incredible. Um, the, the fact that you all were able to, uh, to, to become owners is, is just a testament to, uh, to you all getting on it and being, being on top of it because we were oversubscribed um, in terms of uh, how many investors we had. And uh, we ended up having to turn some folks away uh, just because we just had too many people, um, which is obviously a good thing. And so um, it, it's just amazing, man. And last, I think it was last Friday or two Fridays ago, uh, when folks started getting the emails about, hey, you're officially owner of DCFC, uh, just seeing people post that um, on Twitter um, and talk about it was just just awesome, man. It's something to be proud of uh, for me. So um, yes, it, it helped. It helped uh, helped us get through uh, some tough times uh, last year, uh, but then again, um, you know, it brings in folks like yourself um, and other people just around around the world, really, um, who can who can buy into our, our brand. That's what it's all about. That's the great thing about soccer, and you know, when you build a culture and community, people come together and you know build something very special, and that's what you guys have done. Uh, you've been on both sides now, and I know you're. You're still pretty new to DCFC and what you guys got planned moving forward. But obviously, MLS, Detroit, it's a strong market. A lot of people have talked about it being one of the potential uh, MLS locations if they do expand. Um, every time I feel like a rumor comes around, DCFC contingents like, nah, we, we're good. We already got a team. <laughs> if anything, it's going to be us. Um, is there anything you could speak on about that? I know we're not trying to get too political, but. Yeah. Sure. Well, look, look, man. Um, it, you know, it it is. It, it's it's interesting, right? Every time those rumors come up, it's like, hey, Detroit, DCFC makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, but you know, it, it again uh, for us, it's really just continue to grow what we're doing. Um, grow, grow that brand awareness, grow that community involvement, and you know, things will fall in line from there. I, I'm I'm a firm believer of you know, you don't necessarily need to chase chase different things right if you're doing the right thing um and you're consistent in what you're doing uh you know people people will notice uh things things will happen so um that's probably the extent of what i can say there uh but uh you know we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the future no that's 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 cool i mean we got we have a decision now too now since we're owners right <laughs> exactly exactly you guys have a decision too um so we all have a decision, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it's one of those things where we, we just kind of put our heads down and keep, keep working. Um, and, uh, you, you see, like you said, with our, with our supporters, man, they're just like, you know, we're, we're good here. And <laughs> that's our mentality, right? Like we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, and we'll see, see what happens, um, uh, kind of after that. No, uh, and, and speaking to that. So what are some of the ways that you guys plan to engage with, like, the new fans and the, the new ownership contingent in terms of, you know, uh, active partnerships or engagement and communication? Yeah, so um, what, what you, I'm sure you all have seen this, but there certainly were different tiers of, of folks that invested into the campaign. And so uh, with that, you receive different, um, different gifts or, or different things, um, uh, different incentives, I guess, to invest at those different levels. So um, you know, it's certainly fulfilling those things. Um, it's just like in the really in, in the sponsorship space with me, where once we do a deal with someone or someone has invested in us for a sponsorship, we have to make sure we deliver um, on the things that we said we were going to do. So that's first and foremost. Um, and, you know, that also may play into, you know, kind of how um, 
you know, how folks kind of come into the stadium uh, for this season. Uh, we are we are anticipating um, about um, a thousand fans for this year. And so uh, some of that may be maybe based. And that was just announced a couple of days ago by the state of Michigan. And so some of that in terms of who who's able to come, um, at least initially, it, it may be based on um, that, that investment uh, in those investment levels. So we'll kind of see how that shakes out. But um, yeah, I believe, you know, one of the things that uh, we we've been working on is just uh, just content, right? Like different, 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 um, different content ideas and series. And like, what does that look like for our investors? Right. Is, is there something exclusive that we do? <clears throat> um, is, is there something that we just open up to everyone? So uh, there, there's certainly different things um, in, in the works, uh, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see, uh, see, see what you guys end up getting. I'm excited for that. So, uh, you know, you're speaking on content and different things. Like, what's the large, larger vision for the club from like a media and par- partnerships perspective? Yeah, um, I think so. I, I start with authenticity, right? Um, and, and working with partners, um, working in in partners in uh, you know the sponsor space, but also on the media side. Uh, that speak to the values that we have as a club, the things that we stand for as a club, right? Um, so that's that's kind of first and foremost to me, uh, first and foremost to me. Um, and then also, you know, just generally, um, as as this club grows and, and as we as we bring different sponsors on board, um, the club just kind of grows in size and in terms of what we can do um, holistically. So, um, you know, the more the more folks we're able to partner with. Um, and, and to be and to be authentic with the more offerings we're able to offer, um, you know, with that different with those different type of programs that we have, whether it's on the youth side um, or or otherwise. So I think that's that's the first thing. Um, you know, the, the second thing is is obviously um, to to continue to, to dominate on the field. Um, that's that's important, and that's that's not you know strictly my job. It's not my job at all, actually. Uh, but but um, but it's something that uh, you know we, we take pride in um, as well, just in terms of uh, the success we've had, just straight coming into NISA, uh, good success in the past, but then also winning that that fall championship as well. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think the the last piece for me, and I've touched on it a little bit, but um, it, it's really it's really um, ingraining ourselves into this community, um, and it's really lifting, um, like I said, the, the inner city community and in particular black and brown community here in Detroit um, and, and getting getting folks involved in soccer. Um, and I think one of the ways to do that is to introduce people to folks like you all, right? And a soccer culture, right? Um, because there, there may be a large kind of knowledge barrier, initially, at least initially to understand soccer, but you know, you know culture, you know black culture, you know what's cool, you know what's not cool. And so um, there are things to do there first uh, before you even get to uh, sometimes the pitch that are easier for people to digest um, if they traditionally, you know, haven't been a part of a part of these, the soccer conversation. So, um, yeah, so those, those are three things there for me. Well, go ahead and put us on the list then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You all, you all are on the list for sure, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Two cents. Uh, so talk about that. Uh, I want to ask you a question when it comes to, obviously, you guys have a great um, shirt sponsored. Uh, shout out for Detroit City Dealers from what I've gathered. Uh, but I'm gonna put you on Metro the Metro Detroit Chevy dealers. Yeah, Chevy. Ooh, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 completely oh, different. <laughs> yeah, way different. I was just thinking yeah. Ford, uh, 
um, Detroit, but for Detroit, yeah. Sleeve sponsors, Sleeve sponsors is really sp- popular now. If you you're the director of partnerships, ideal Sleeve sponsor, and you can't say two cents FC. So we have we have one Sleeve sponsor, um, and that's Strategic Staffing Solutions. Okay. Uh, so they're they're on one Sleeve. The other side is is um, actually the Nisa logo. So there there may be there may be room to to add an additional uh, sleeve sponsor there. I'm not I'm I'm not sure exactly where the logo will go, but there may there may be um, room to add a sleeve sponsor at some point. Um, but ideally for the sleeve, um, thinking about Detroit, um, you know one of one of the partners that uh, one of the one of the companies I really enjoy. You speak about culture. Uh, you speak about Detroit. Um, and, and all things kind of cool is, as you mentioned them, is, is StockX, man. I love them. I think I think they're doing a great job, and uh, I know I know a lot of good folks there. Um, and uh, we've we've talked in the past, but uh, I think I think they'd be a, a good one to bring into the fold. So so there you go. Okay, I, I like that. That'd be dope. Yeah. Yeah. A, a DCFC the StockX content collaboration series. Let the players do some little sneaker things. I think uh, right. I think something can work there. Yeah, yeah, and they they recently did a a really cool deal with um the G League, uh mm-hmm. where they're the the jersey sponsor for the G League Ignite team, mm-hmm. um and so they they they've played in that space and so, uh you know we'll we'll see but I think they're you know they're very endemic to Detroit at this point um and also to to the, the kind of sports and culture space as well. No, I love it. So obviously before we get into the the different things, I want to ask you because you lived in Detroit, lived in New York. Um, what was that transition like? You know, uh, Detroit, I feel like it's, I don't want to say it's like more family oriented, but <laughs> it, it moves at a slower pace than that hustle and bustle New York lifestyle. Right. Yeah. One thing people don't often kind of, kind of make connect the dots with Detroit is like, we're in the Midwest. So we, we are a Midwest city. Um, and so from that standpoint, yeah, it is, it can be a little slower. It's a little bit more family, family oriented, but I went from I went from Detroit to Minneapolis to Atlanta uh, to to New York, so that was kind of my path. And there were a, a couple of stops in between that too, actually. Um, but I, you know, I think um, the transition wasn't too too crazy for me because um, at a young age, you know, my parents made sure that uh, we were we were well rounded, well traveled. Um, and then once I started doing internships in college, um, it was just like, yeah, like I can live other places. Like this is. This is not um, this is this is not anything too crazy, and I always enjoyed um, going to other other cities and, and seeing other countries uh, because I just enjoy learning different cultures. Uh, because you know, growing up in Detroit, um, you know, it, it just it since since we are 80, 80 plus percent black, and when I was younger, it, it may have been up to ninety percent. Um, you know, the culture always seemed kind of one way, right? Um, and it seemed like, hey, we all kind of we, we think similar things, even though everyone is different. Um, the the kind of oh, the predominant culture seemed to be kind of one way. And so I just wanted to learn uh, different ways of life and how different people grew up. And it's just amazing um, how some some folks grew up and uh, how different it was from my experiences. And I learned a lot of that in business school as well. Um, Columbia is about 50 percent in terms of international students. Uh, so you just learn learn about folks from all different kind of backgrounds, and so again, to answer your question, the, the transition wasn't anything too crazy. But um, honestly, coming back has been has been a transition because 
I was gone for, you know, close to 10 years. And uh, Detroit has changed a lot in that time since I left um, technically in 2011 um, to coming back now. So I'm just kind of reintegrating and reinserting myself into the community. I still I still got all my good friends here. Uh, so they always keep me on top of what's what's new and make sure make sure I'm not uh, I'm not lacking, as we say in Detroit. But um, but yeah, uh, it, it was good. It was, it's been good coming back. Okay, so a couple of quick questions. So say, you know, me and L decide to come out to a DCFC game, which probably will happen at some point. Let's do it. Absolutely. What restaurant is like the uh, Detroit staple? Like, oh, no, you got to check out this spot. Um, There are a couple, man. Wow, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, Well, I would take you to a black home spot. Um, and so I would, I would start with the block. Uh, the block is a really good good restaurant right in Midtown. Um, a homie of a homie owns that. Um, I would take you into the neighborhood. I would take you to my other friend's dad spot, Generation Bistro. Um, and then I would take you to my other homie spot. It's called Durden's. Um, and that's right. It's actually right down the street where I'm at now. So um, I, would, I would take you to all the homie spots. Uh, and they're all black owned. Uh, sure. well, Looking forward to it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know L had a question about uh, all right, which pizza is better. I, I never knew Detroit was known for their pizza, but New York pizza or Detroit pizza? Yo, okay, all right. So let's talk about this, fellas. Okay. So listen, so oh, listen. So look, so growing up in Detroit, we never associated like the type of pizza we ate with like this being like Detroit style pizza. I think I think what has happened is. Folks have come in and capitalized on uh, how we've been in pizza and just be like, oh, we can take this to the world. Because the first time I heard about Detroit-style pizza was in New York. I never heard about it in Detroit. And so uh, and so there's there's this place called, um in, in New York, it's right in Chelsea. I think it's called Detroit Pizza, literally the name of the company, um, or the restaurant. And it's, you know, it's that square-style pizza. And I'm just like, I've never heard of this before in my life. I know that we've, we've, eight square style pizza in Detroit, but we never called it or branded it um, anything. I think this is very recent. And then when Pizza Hut did it recently, it was just like, oh, it just kind of took off. Um, but it started with Buddy's Pizza. Um, they have the square style. It's amazing. It's great. And it's 100% better than New York or Chicago or anything like that. New York pizza is so thin. It, it's not filling. And, it, and it's just, it, it's not good, man. Um, so I, I I rank it Detroit, Chicago, New York. Okay, a little Midwest bias, but I, I could dig it. A little bias, a little bias, yeah. That's that's cool. And then uh, last thing, you know, you mentioned internships, and I know a uh, couple uh, actually less than a week ago there was like a big uh, little debate on you know the concepts of internships, paid, unpaid, all that. But talk about the importance of internships as it pertains to you know how you got to where you are now. A lot of people are interested in how they can get into sports business, sports media, uh, different things. And, you know, what are some tips that you would um, share for the group? You know, obviously, you have quite the background, quite the education, University of Michigan, Columbia. But is there any, like, tips that we can, like, take home uh, for anyone that's listening? Yeah, look, um, just first weighing in on that conversation, um, I've never had an unpaid internship. And, And that's... And I think that's a one, it's a blessing, right? But it's also something that you just don't see a lot because the majority of my internships have been in sports. Uh, but I always place 
always placed a value just on working and what I was doing and what I kind of brought to the table. Um, and also, you know, just honestly wasn't completely feasible for me to to have an internship that was unpaid because um, I didn't have that that silver spoon. You know, my parents did all right um, in their middle class, but you know, we weren't we weren't breaking the bank uh, by any means. So um, that that just wasn't wasn't a, a possibility for me. Um, but the the reason why internships are as important is is just because it, it gives you um, I don't want to say a low risk way, but it gives you an insight into a company um, in, in a way without kind of having that long term commitment, right? Um, and you're able to learn about the company, you're able to learn about you, um, and you're able to, you know, just kind of decipher what you like and don't like uh, before you commit to any full time um, role. And really, what what I tell people when I talk to students all the time about this is. Um, the internship is still an interview, right? It's, it's an extension of your interview. And again, you, both sides are interviewing each other. Uh, but uh, from that, you're able to say, hey, yes or no. And, um, and the reason why they're important is it's an additional networking opportunity for you. You're able to build out um, you know, who you know uh, by just working at these different companies and saying, okay, well, you know, I, I I obviously worked at Microsoft and I still know people there. And so if I want to go back to Microsoft or if I need to talk to someone for some reason about maybe a deal with Microsoft, right. I'm, I'm able to, to kind of lean on, lean on that network. Um, but also you're able to just learn, you're able to learn about different companies, how they operate, how they tick. Um, and, and most importantly, especially in these times is, is to learn about the culture of these organizations. Um, and if they align with the values that you have. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, they're um, supremely important. Um, I look at them, again, as an extension of the interview, but also extension of the classroom. Um, you learn in class, but then also there's on-the-job learning, and I think the internships are a great way to do that. Uh, so I, I encourage anyone who's trying to get into any field, really, um, you know, to, to, to pursue internships um, and to get that experience, uh, but also get paid for it. No, thanks for sharing. I think it's important. Um, to quick one quick story about an internship I did. It was like as a, a venture capital uh, and analyst role, and I always wanted to be in venture capital, but that analyst role, no way. The, the deal flow, <laughs> you got to look at deals every day. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I want to be like investor relations, like let the analysts look at the deals. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't have known that if I didn't do the internship. So it's important exactly. to um, take a chance and, you know, just like they're interviewing you, you got to interview them. So. Um, I appreciate you sharing. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. I, I will say, you know, in the VC role, man, I, I learned a lot. Um, and the, the two partners at Corsi, Deepin and Vasu, they were they were very gracious and, and just kind of letting me have a flexible schedule. So it was like, ah, I want to do deals today, I could, or just like, oh, I'll just go to class <laughs> or do something else. So um, it, was, it was awesome working for those guys. And you know, we talk about networking. They're they're also um, they help connect me uh, when I was looking for full time jobs coming out of grad school uh, to MLS and two other companies. And say, hey, hire TJ. Um, so it was uh, you know it, it it was fruitful from that standpoint. That's big time. What you got, L? Before we move on. Yeah, one more one thing. Um, so out of market fans, and also since you have so many new owners. Um, they're all, they're all going to want to see the game. So how can they see the games if they're not in the market or if they can't go to a game? 
It's a good question. So I am over the broadcast strategy. Uh, so this year um, we do have, uh, so a couple of things. So we have all of our, all of our matches or our home matches this year, excuse me, uh, will be broadcast um, in all the major Michigan DMAs this season. So that's, that's a change from previous years. Um, and uh, it's going to do, you know, wonders for us um, just in terms of putting us in that conversation of the top uh, sports teams um, in the state. Um, secondly, in terms of just uh, watching from anywhere, uh, that's, that's typically on the streaming side. And so you can certainly, you'll be able to watch all of our matches on our DCFC channels, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Twitch this year as well. Uh, but I'm, I'm also working on um, a, a deal with a, a potential streaming partner um, so that uh, we'll be able to cast on Roku and Fire TV, um, et cetera. Uh, to watch matches this year um, through their app. So uh, hopefully uh, we can we can uh, lock that in and sign that soon. Um, and you guys will be hearing about it uh, very shortly. Dope. Very dope. I look forward to tuning in this season. That's right. right so let's, let's jump into um, Two Truths in the Cap. So <laughs> this is a game where you, TJ, will give us three facts about yourself. One of them will be a lie. You know, Moby and I have to guess what the lie is. So Moby's been on a little hot streak lately. You know what I'm saying? Like, but but two wins, two wins recently. Two two wins out of the last three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So whenever you're ready, TJ. Yeah, I, of course I prepare for this one. So let let's do it. Um, and I, I've seen how how it's gone with previous folks. So uh, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how you guys do. So, um, all right. Here are the three. All right. Uh, so the first one is um, I played on the same basketball team as Big Sean in middle school. Um, at that time, he was Sean Anderson. Um, I lived in Portugal for two months. Um, and the third one is I played the cello as a kid. Hmm. Oh, lived in Portugal for two months. What companies was he working at? He said Target. <laughs> I mean, he said he was well traveled. So, yeah. but two months—that's like that. Family vacation is not two months. That has to be internship for somebody, right? Or like project based. Cello's believable. Big Sean thing is believable. Yeah, nah, because they would have already had like some type of Big Sean announcement. He would have been like, "Yo, Big Sean, I need you to like." Hey, that might be coming though. <laughs> that might be coming. Nah, you know he can't he can't give everything up on the show like yeah. you gotta keep some stuff on the low um, i'm gonna say portugal i'm gonna just throw it out there that's that's want, my guess what's a baby movie i'm going big sean nah big sean is too small to be playing basketball yeah <laughs> i said middle school though uh, nah. hey i was hilarious. one i was one of the taller kids in middle school and i'm only like <laughs> five eight so yeah. Um, well, yeah. The uh, the cap was the second one, uh, Portugal. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Um, Sean. Yeah, I knew Sean. Crazy story is that I went to a friend's school here in Detroit. He went to Waldorf, uh, which is just a sister school of ours, but it's kind of very arts focused. Friend school is very. It, it's a Quaker school. Um, it's all about learning about who you are and peace um, and being friends with folks. It's an awesome school to go to. Uh, but um, my grade, you know, I was, I was in, I started there in first grade and I went through sixth grade and 
every year I had about um, 10 to 12 girls in my class and like three dudes. Uh, so when it came down to, to playing like boys basketball, we couldn't outfit a team um, in sixth grade. And so we partnered with Waldorf and that's how I met Sean. Um, we played together. We won a championship um, in like sixth grade and uh, ended up um, ended up going to McDonald's afterwards. I'll never forget that. Um, and uh, that's kind of how I became uh, friends with him and, and knowing kind of his crew. Um, Portugal, that's a cap. I went there recently, but uh, about a couple of years ago, but um, never lived there. And then the cello, yeah, I did that for one summer. So that was, that's, okay. it's not a cap, but it's also like, I did it for one summer. <laughs> yeah, I want to circle back to um, to the Sean comment uh, for a second, because you see how like teams like Atlanta United have embraced and engaged, you know, the black community using hip hop, yep. using something that's relatable. Um, is that anything that you guys have kind of in the works with, you know, Detroit being such a black city, like engaging, helping the engaged community using some of their, you know, artists and stars? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I don't know if you guys saw, but Sean recently did a deal with the uh, Detroit Pistons. Um, so he's working with them, which is amazing. Um, but on, on our side, um, you know, we're we're a hundred percent exploring that. Um, I have some ties in the music space. Um, you know, I, I often I often tell people I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with Detroit hip hop, but uh, Black Milk is is certainly. Mm-hmm. a friend and god brother of mine and, and we, we grew up together so um, it, it'd be awesome to work with him uh but but we're exploring that right now and, and figuring out what what that is because, and, I, and i think that's that's really important you know we talk about authenticity um you know i, I don't just want to go out and you know just work with you know i don't know whether it's eminem or someone just just because right like it really has to be authentic to who we are um and, and what we stand for and it has to be you know, authentic to our sound. Like, I think, I think that's big because you're going to equate that with, uh, with, with who we are. Um, in pre-games, you'll hear, uh, you know, maybe during, during the games, you'll hear, hear some music. Like, it just has to be, uh, has to be right. So it's something we're working on. It's not final yet, but, um, but certainly something we're working on. Yeah. Well, it's a good call out. A lot of but, Detroit rappers get a lot of love in NorCal. I don't know if it's because of the, the similar sound, but a lot of, yeah. a lot of love. We talk, we talk very similarly. Yeah, like I've heard the, yeah. the language, the accent, all of that is very similar to Bay Area, NorCal, Cali in general. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the accent is very similar. Yeah, I know. I know Jalen Rose always says um, Oakland is a cousin of Detroit, um, and I yeah. definitely, I definitely feel that. Um, and I remember when I first moved to to New York, people were like, "Oh, you have an accent." I'm like, "What, really? <laughs> like, do I?" <laughs> <laughs> uh but um but yeah so so i feel that i feel that love too well, yeah, no doubt so let's jump into these topics um first one so usl recently wrote out a new ref sharing model um so according to sports business journal the usl has implemented a significant change to league operations committing to share 50 percent of all national media and sponsorship revenue with the clubs to ensure their financial health so through the club dividend plan what is called um USL teams can receive subsidies, expense offsets, and cash by hitting certain performance metrics like attendance, attendance minimums, and national TV appearances. The league office had previously not shared national revenue directly with clubs, but um, the dividend program began with the twenty the twenty twenty season um, and has formalized was formalized in the twenty nineteen season around the same time. 
um, that the league extended its media agreement with ESPN. Um, so an initial three-year trial of the club dividend plan will run through 2022, um, after which ESPN's current deal will expire. The clubs received their first checks from the program in January. Um, USL exact, exec VP Court Jeske told SBJ that um, every club was able to take advantage of the program in 2020, either from receiving a cash, either from receiving cash or utilizing subsidized programs. Other ways for clubs to qualify for dividends include making use of the USL app and data warehouse for, for uh, with Fan360, um, employee training with ISBI and commercial valuations with MVP index. So sponsorship revenue uh, is new for 2021 with last year only including media media revenue um which is not impacted by the pandemic because they had the, the espn deal um so in addition to providing financial support the usl hopes to hopes the club dividend plan motivates teams to create an overall better product um so i want to get you guys thoughts on this um do you think it will have this it's, it's intended effect um do you think it'll incentivize teams to kind of you know put their best foot forward in terms of like growing infrastructure um, you know, putting a good on-field product on the on the pitch. Uh, get you guys thoughts. Go ahead, Amob. Okay, I was just gonna say I definitely think so. You know, obviously, you know, everything's is business. You know, the the better product you have, the more opportunities for you know revenue, whether it's through sponsorships and media. Obviously, as I, I feel like a a, a rising tide lifts all boats so as mls grows usl grows misa grows and you know other alternatives um but from usl you know they're really trying to build a formidable league and with that you know comes the infrastructure you know you see the phoenixes of the world the louisville's the tampas uh how can you know other teams build something like that where um now it's all right we're, we're here and we want to put some money behind it yeah, no, I, I agree there. And, uh, you know, when you were reading that, Hill, it, it just reminded me of, you know, the, the you know, the NFL um, is one of the leagues that you think about, at least I, it comes to mind first for me when you talk about revenue sharing. Um, and you see how um, it's, it's maintained the league and, and the teams. Um, the one thing that seems to be unique here uh, without knowing all the details is, is that incentive piece. So putting putting kind of incentives um, and structure around what you need to do to get this money and not just like, hey, you're gonna get this money regardless of what you do, whether you spend on the team or not. Um, I think that's really smart. Um, I'm not sure exactly how the NFL structures it, but it seems that, um, you know, folks just kind of kind of get the money just by kind of being in the club uh, type of thing. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I think it's really smart and um, it sounds like a, a great idea. For sure. Yeah, I think um, I think it'll be a good a good incentive, especially as teams are beginning to try and build stadiums. Um, any little bit, you know, helps. I know uh, New Mexico FC, um, New Mexico United was looking to uh, get a stadium approved in their city. Phoenix just recently opened up their new one, you know, Louisville, obviously. Um, so it's good to see USL actually putting money behind the, the teams actually putting money behind infrastructure and like saying you know what forget mls let's grow where we are and you know become affordable formidable here um i think this this incentive will definitely help them kind of bolster some of that some of those efforts that they're doing for sure yeah 
All right. Agreed. So next up, um, no more colonizer ball, man. <laughs> <laughs> we tired of it. We tired of you know these colonizing countries coming in, taking the best players from their diaspora, putting them on their national teams, and you know benefiting from it. France is is one for sure, right? So recently, Jamaica's football federation, their president Michael Ricketts, has confirmed that. The following list of players have or are in process of requiring passports for Jamaica's men's national team. So we got Andre Gray from Watford, Damari Gray from um, Bayer Leverkusen, Isaac Hayden from Newcastle, Mason Holgate from Everton, Liam Moore from Reading, Nathan Redman from Southampton, Kamar Roof from Rangers, Ivan Tony from Brentford, and Mikel Antonio from West Ham. So they're basically pulling a, re- a reverse diaspora move, um, repatriating their European players so that they can qualify to play for um, the national team of their origin, you know, their their ancestral origin. Um, so this is something that the women's team actually did um, the last World Cup. So their, uh, their coach, you know, went into America, went into Canada, grab players of Jamaican descent and that's what helped them qualify for the World Cup um this last World Cup. So I want to get you guys thoughts on that move. Um and also what country do you think will have the strongest team if all of their ancestral players play for them instead of playing for the colonizing country? Oh that's a great point. Uh, I'll go first I guess. Um I have uh it's tough. You know it's great to see you know players come back and play for their uh, the, their motherlands, um, you know, where their parents and ancestors are from. Uh, part of it could be maybe because they weren't good enough for the country of their birth. Uh, part of it could be, um, you know, they really, you know, want to play back home and want to be able to play in a World Cup. I do have a problem with the FAs not investing in resources in their own communities. You know, Jamaica has a lot of talent in their home country playing in um, the States or wherever, um, but, you know, they're not putting as much resources as they can, but it is great to see and have them recruit from players at, that are playing at top levels. Um, obviously, it's going to take a strong coach to make sure that you build that chemistry for players that were, you know, born and bred and, you know, playing for Jamaica all the way through and people that just showing up at a moment's notice because there's a possibility of making it to a World Cup. And I'm not speaking for any or all the players that are just like, oh, I want to play for my Jamaica because I want to go to World Cup. But I'm just saying that dynamic is always very interesting. Uh, but yeah, England taking a bunch of players that they don't want to claim until um, they're trying to play for their motherlands and then taking credit for it. Nah, go rather go see you play for Jamaica. And then in terms of your second question, of course, it's going to be Nigeria. I mean, it's just tough. We got so much talent <laughs> everywhere, so it's it's, it's going to be tough. But if if Nigeria, if everyone was like, "Yo, we're going to start coming back home," um, Nigeria would be top top dog. Nigeria will be the first African team to win the World Cup. I'm putting it on Vegas. <laughs> I don't know when I got to do it, but next time I go to Vegas, I'm making that bet. Um. Yeah. Uh. You know. I I can agree there too. Um. I think. And I know this was discussed on a previous episode where it's like, um, you know, like you said, these FAs that need to be investing 
um, uh, even maybe even before they're saying, hey, we're, we're bringing folks back and you got to gotta kind of pay for your home country. But uh, hopefully uh, with that, you know, with them bringing people back, uh, investment does come behind that as well. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see see how that goes. Um, I just remember all the uh, all the chatter. I'm on Twitter and other places just about the France team and you know how how black it looked, <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, they they obviously did a great job. Um, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to tell you which team um, I thought would would be the best one um, if if this you know if this was to happen kind of. Uh, globally, uh, but I was gonna go with Nigeria just because Nigeria is so dope and uh, their kids are dope, and they're just such a uh, such a dope uh, following um, uh, of, of the team uh, from a lot of my homies. Uh, so, so we can agree there too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I rock with you. <laughs> I mean, Amobi is obviously biased, but um, <laughs> and thank you. Like this man watches the show. Obviously, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. He re- he referenced the previous yeah. episode. Um, so that's definitely dope, but I think I'm gonna say Nigeria just because I don't I don't have the knowledge of you know all the other teams and all the other players from where they're in where they're from. Right. Um, I will say that Jamaica would be a close second. They would be number one in Concacaf for sure if you know Sterling, all them people came back oh, and yeah. played for Jamaica. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of the Caribbean teams would be a lot better. If they came, if those players came back and played for their for their FAs, um, so I think Concacaf as a whole would be much stronger if you know other teams kind of took the same approach and you know brought their players back, even the ones who like weren't going to play for like you know like Curacao for example, they have a lot of Dutch. They're like we're colonized by the Dutch, so they have a lot of their players playing in the Dutch league and the Dutch system, et cetera bringing those dudes back to play for Curacao, you know, that, that could be a, a huge boost for them. Um, same, I think, with Trinidad and a lot of these other Caribbean com- countries as well. So I think that's a super, super important thing. I hope I see more of it. Um, yeah. I'll add to that. Haiti would be a, a sleeper too. Haiti oh, would sure. be a sleeper. That would be a, a top quality team. Man, and, I'm, and I'm, also, I'm also thinking about just from a um, – uh, you know, when we talk about like getting the black community in America to to pay attention to soccer and to be like, oh, I want to do that one day or be a part of that, like to see, um, you know, these African African nations um, or uh, or these countries of that and these Caribbean countries um, with these black and brown players um, succeeding and doing well um, and playing the game, you know, playing their style. Um, with, with flair and things like that, man, at the highest level, I think that would do wonders uh, if you saw something like that at the World Cup level um, in, in a couple of years. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, we'll we'll see. Oh, definitely. Sure. And speaking of overseas, we got another American investment watch. So, over the past however many weeks, however many episodes, Amobi and I always kind of keep an eye on the American investment groups that are investing in European clubs. So a lot of times I'm just like a second division French club or, you know, a, a EPL league one club or, you know, a third division Italian club or something like that. But um, recently um, a group of American investors led by LA based businessman, Brett Johnson is on the verge of buying Ipswich town for 17 and a half million pounds, according to the athletic. 
So this League One club has been owned by British multimillionaire Marcus Evans since December 2007. Um, but the 57-year-old has been in talks with various parties um, for at least six months, having poured more than 100 million pounds of his own wealth into the club over the last 13 years. So Evans is understood to be writing off the debt and giving Johnson's group a clean, st- clean slate. Excuse me. <clears throat> Johnson's group, um, they would like to have Bristol City Chief ex- Executive Mark Ashton to take over the day-to-day running of Ips- Ipswich but he is understood to be happy at Bristol um, for the time being, in particular as the championship club have just appointed Nigel Pearson as their new manager and are about to open. I don't know why I added that on there. Anyway, um, so we got another American group uh, dipping their toe into the European soccer market. Moby, you got anything? Yeah, I, this? Uh, I think it's something that was bound to happen. And so for context, uh, Brett Johnson, he's also part of the ownership group for uh, Phoenix Rising and Tucson FC. And he's a big part of USL's expansion into other cities um, because of his his knowledge in the real estate space. You know, a lot of the USL teams are looking for um, like the kind of the multi-use complex stadiums, real estate plays when they it's all the real estate play. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, he's someone that's very knowledgeable about the growth of soccer in the United States. And um someone that's even looking to expand. He already owns um, a team in, um, what's the team he also owns? In Denmark, I believe, with uh, Jordan Gardner. I think he's part of that ownership group. And uh, I know there's been talks about him trying to get into England for quite some time. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a really nice guy, someone I've met a couple times and I've uh, had some great conversations with. So, um, yeah, I think if, if he's able to get that team, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of cool things happen. Um, and it's just another way to expand in soccer for, for his and, and his ownership group. You got anything to add, TJ? No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, and it uh, sounds like this Brett Johnson guy, uh, he, he really, he, he's on the pulse, man. He, he knows where, where the sport is going. Um, and uh, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting in now. So um, I think, the fact that he already has some investments on this side, it makes sense to, you know, go go overseas and, and continue to diversify. But, um, you know, it, it is interesting uh, because I know Ben all talked about this, but, um, you know, it's kind of like what is what is your strategy, right? Like if you're when you're investing on this side um, in America, you can you can really build up uh, clubs and kind of dictate almost kind of what your message and brand is and, and how close it's tied to the community because, um, you know, it may be relatively new, uh, but, you know, in Europe, inevitably, those clubs have been around for a while. And so um, it's a little bit more entrenched in terms of how people perceive your club and the brand. So maybe a little bit harder if, if you're trying to shift it. But um, if he's he's just trying to, I, I wouldn't say dip his toe in the water because he's probably not doing that by buying a team, but, um, but it, it seems to be a different strategy, but I'm um, an interesting one, nonetheless. Oh. Yeah, sure. Okay, so let's get into another game we like to play on the show. Um, no card, yellow card, red card. So this is a rapid-fire game um, where I'll read off some news headlines or news topics, and you guys will give us your opinion on those topics um, using the soccer card system. So no card is I'm cool with it. I agree. Uh, yellow card is I can go either way and red card obviously is I'm not cool with that or I disagree so we got three today Um, let me jump right into it so no card yellow card red card 
25-year Nike exec resigns as a report after report is released about her son's sneaker resale business. So I'll let you go first, TJ. <laughs> um, man, this is this topic has been on fire in the group chats, uh, especially <laughs> since I used to work at Nike. Um, you know, look, I, I actually know and uh, met Anne and worked for her uh, while I was there. So um, she, it, one thing I, you know, I've been telling folks is like she's a fantastic person. Uh, but but there's a, it's obviously some sort of conflict of interest here, um, right? And uh, you know, it seems like she took responsibility and stepped down. So um, it was certainly a red card from that standpoint. Um, and uh, you know, inevitably with with situations like this, and someone like Ann, she'll probably get swooped up by by Adi or Under Armour. So um, you know, it, she, she'll she'll go on. But uh, the whole situation, man, is just it's just it's been crazy <laughs> uh, but yeah red card final answer so for context was the son using like discount credit and then buying them in bulk and then reselling them um i don't think it came across that he was using discount credit but he was using her credit card to buy them um yeah. and also there could be some speculation about you know back of the truck type of things happening yeah, yeah. like how do you get access to so, so much stock you yeah know what I'm like yeah that's a red car i mean yeah you can't really get around that i mean great he effort the yeah, reason i'm taking effort. l's on the sneakers at man like, <laughs> great effort on the young kid trying to be a little entrepreneur <laughs> but uh, yeah that's a red car for me all right next one uh no car yellow car red car Juventus makes Weston McKinney's loan permanent in an 18.5 million euro deal with Schalke. TJ. Oh, that's awesome, man. It's it's a no card for me. Um, you know, uh Weston's been doing seems like he's been doing well. Um, and it's just more more notoriety uh for you know an American player. So um yeah, it's, it's a no card for me. You you got some inside soccer, soccer uh, knowledge about this, Amobi. Nah, the only thing I'm going to say is yellow card for Schalke. I mean, you should have known Weston was going to ball out. You should have raised that price yeah. up. Um, they're talking about they needed money. Um, and then yellow card for Juventus, too, because, I mean, he was, you know, since the beginning, he's been um, really formidable and key cog to their team. So you guys should have made it permanent sooner. But in all honesty, no card. I think it's great for him to be playing <laughs> in a strong league and doing his thing. <laughs> But yo, TJ, since so we talked about this on other shows as well about why mm -hmm. there's no like LeBron like star for American soccer, you know what I'm saying? And it looks like Weston is like well on his way. And with you working in brand partnerships and stuff like that, what would you do to kind of help like boost his profile? You know what I'm saying? Like, what would you do to like put him on the map in America? Yeah, man. Um, it's man. It's, it's certainly a challenge. Um, but you know what? What I would say is like the rise of these different uh, uh, digital platforms, Bleacher Report, um, Overtime, uh, Wave, um, etc., has certainly helped. Right, where where we can see highlights of guys, and we're and we're able to say, oh, okay, we know who this is. Like e even if you're a casual fan, you know who Christian Pulisic is, right? Like. Um, and Weston is well on his way there as well. Um, but, you know, what I would do if, if I was on his team, man, is just, you know, work with these companies and put out some content series, man. Let folks know who you are. 
Um, I know Bleacher had done some work with Tyler Adams in the past. Um, but let, let folks know who you are, man. Give, give them a little bit about you. Um, and, you know, the way to, to become like, you know, I, I don't know if he could be the LeBron, but like the way to have that notoriety is when you got to break, break through culturally. Um, so you have to, you have to collaborate um, in different spaces and be a part of those conversations. Look at, look at someone like Afonso Davies, man. Like he's like, Drake is like partner with him. And like, now he's like, everybody know and everybody's know knows who Alfonso Davies is. So um, it, it doesn't have to be a rapper, but it's like, who, who can, who can Weston kind of uh, connect with uh, to put him into some of those cultural conversations where um, it's just, it's just casuals as we call them. Um, consuming uh, his content and knowing who he is um, and driving up his value ultimately. Yeah, I would say Travis Scott, but Weston, I believe, is with Adidas and Travis mm. with, is with Nike, so that wouldn't really work. Yeah. Who over those at vibes, Adidas? Those vibes could, don't work. <laughs> who could we link him with at Adidas, though? Who's at Adidas? That's a, um... Pharrell, man. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of things for real touches goes crazy. That's what you got to do. This is the plan. All right, <laughs> off season, every those top young guys, Tyler Adams, Weston, Pulisic, Way, or whatever, you set them. If I'm their manager, I set them up in a house in in L.A., Beverly Hills, West West Hollywood, whatever the, the cameras everywhere, whatever <laughs> whatever the NFL does, people do like Odell and like Jarvis Landry and the basketball player. We are filming everything. Mm-hmm. I'm hiring a publicist. I'm hiring like, as bad as it sounds, like y'all y'all going to STK, you're going to Nobu, and I'm like calling TMZ. I'm like, yo, you guys got a young soccer player. They need to be in the scene, um, obviously within reason, and just filming everything for a whole summer. Let them go out. Let them enjoy. Let them document everything. Let them go shopping. Do what you need to do. Do what young kids do within reason. Obviously, frugal athlete. Not telling them to spend money, but Basically, like Sway House, like the little influencers be doing. But from a soccer standpoint, you got them training, you got them living, you got them doing what they need to do, getting that insight, and then do that one summer. Hopefully, leading up to like a World Cup or something, it'll be good to go. All right, Moby, chill. We got to tuck that one. Just a <laughs> sports original, bro. It, yeah, right, it makes it makes <laughs> sense, but it goes it goes back to the point, man. Content, man. We we yeah. need more content of these guys doing things outside of. Uh, and content and culture and doing things outside of soccer because everyone's just everyone in America or at least the, the casual fan in America is not is not consuming soccer on a um, a, a large kind of basis right now so um, so yeah so how do we get them into those cultural conversations and then that'll draw them into the game and inevitably man people come to the game in a lot of different ways you got to yeah. meet them where they are we need those we need those Benzema those Benzema videos and stuff <laughs> yep. <laughs> Need to walk around with a camera crew at all times. All right, last one. No card, yellow card, red card. Square acquires the majority ownership stake in title with Jay-Z joining Square's board. So the acquisition will help creators monetize on the platform through new commerce channels. TJ. Yeah, man, it's uh man, it's 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 an exit for Jay-Z, man. I mean it it's like for him it's it's a W, right? He's been exiting um, a lot lately too. Yeah, man, <laughs> he's gearing up for something else. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, I, I, and I think that's the thing, man. It's like, well, you know, he got the exit on title, and now he has the relationship with Square and ultimately Jack. 
And so like what 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 happens from that standpoint, right? I, I'm if I'm if I'm putting my myself into the mind of Jay Z, uh, if I could do that for a second, I would think there's something that that's that's um, additional to to just this. So um, so we'll see, we'll see. And it's, it's interesting that that Square did the stake, but um, yeah, Jay Z man, he's um, he's liquidating a little bit. So yeah, something's up his sleeve. Yeah. So this is where you put your VC hat on. Obviously, you had experience. He just he just sold a uh, majority stake at Ace of Spades. Um, just did this deal with Title. Obviously, people talking about NFTs and all these different things. What trends do you think Jay Z is going to get into? Man, you know the one thing now. I'm now now that you say that. Um, I'm look thinking back to it. I, I remember um, you know when he first did that deal with the NFL. He talked about potentially owning the team one day. And so uh, this that that can make a lot of sense as a as a long time play, <laughs> yeah. Where where um you know he he's he may be uh, raising some cash uh, to, to eventually get into the NFL. So um, it's not necessarily a trend, uh, but it's kind of something you do once you accumulate that amount of wealth. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Mm. Which team would he? I didn't think about that one. That's a good play. He got to bring. Yeah. It'll have to be expansion. It have to bring bring a team in. I don't know. If, I don't yeah. know if anything any team is for sale. Right I think now. Uh, May, maybe oh, not for sale to us, but you know, in those circles, yeah. quietly floating, like, hey, you know, I, I'd be willing to give this up. Paul you know? Allen, um, before he passed, his trust fund owns the Seahawks, right? Still, um, I believe so. Yeah, but they got a wider. Um, they got a wider ownership group. I think uh, they got like a bunch of celebrities and stuff in that ownership group too. So they got more of like a, a NBA soccer model over there in Seattle. I'm trying to think who, what team? I know another <laughs> team put their team up. Um, who, who recently just put their team up? Yeah, that's interesting. I could definitely yeah. see. It. You'd think you'd rather do NFL than NBA, like if you could own a team, because NBA they're coming um, to that point. Yes, that's a good question. Um, I'm just thinking NFL because he already has a relationship with them. Um, but NBA, you know, I think NBA is is a growth is a growth league. Um, so yeah, it could be interesting. Um, I know as an NBA fan, he goes to a lot of games, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, he might be looking at that next wave. I know he's a, a big soccer fan as well. So <laughs> he, he might he might be coming to MLS. Man, you never know. <laughs> Never know. Looking for a new new frontier to conquer. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, back to the NFT thing though. I think that's a play with Square. So Jack is heavily invested in you know crypto, Bitcoin um, specifically. Um, I think I could see NFT plays coming to title, um, allowing you know artists to kind of tokenize their projects, you know, through streaming revenue or whatever. Um, I don't know exactly how the how it will work, but I see that kind of possibly being a move um that jack unveils to kind of help these artists you know maintain ownership but also you know monetize a lot a lot more on the platform that makes a ton of sense and you think about you know the values of title and empowering the artists and, and allowing them to make uh, more money than some of the other streaming services like uh, that, that would fit them uh to a t so that, that makes a lot of sense yeah for sure all right, so let's jump into this week's Black Soccer History. Um, so this week we have Michael Nsien. Did I pronounce that right, Amobi? Yep. Nsien, okay. 
So Michael Nsien is a Nigerian-American former soccer player and current head coach of FC Tulsa in the USL Championship. Nsien played college soccer at the University of Dayton between 1999 and 2003, scoring nine goals at left back in 73 appearances. Following college, Nsien with the signed with the LA Galaxy in 2005 as a reserve player and then with the USL's Portland Timbers, the then USL Portland Timbers in 2006. He also played in the uh, UAE for UAE Pro League side Al Saab FC and was a member of the 2003 Nigerian Under-23 national team that ultimately failed to qualify for the 2004 Olympics in Athens. And CN became an assistant coach for uh, the Tulsa Roughnecks, which is now FC Tulsa, um, before taking over the side from David Baldrill as interim head coach in June of 2018. And CN was named permanent head coach in December December 2018. And why he's making soccer history today is and seeing it's the first black coach soccer coach in america to receive a pro license just the highest license you can attain in u.s soccer so definitely want to give and seeing his flowers for reaching those heights hopefully he's the first of many Amazing. black coaches to reach to um attain pro licenses and we can kind of see this see this game grow and see more black coaches in the uh, upper tier ranks so shout out to you yeah shout, shout out sure. amazing what he's doing with tulsa is amazing great coach and uh his coach all his players respect him so definitely need to see more of that and now that we know it's attainable um i think more people will will shoot for that and i, I recently looked up like all the different license levels license levels for coaches and uh it's definitely some work you got to put in so so shout out there for sure yeah so so that's it yeah so that's it uh, tj thank you so much um I know that next time I go to Detroit, I'm just going to name drop you and I'm good. You got um, it. Now we tapping in. We going to yeah, tap in. Uh, <laughs> you got it. But where can the people find you if they want to connect with you? Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, man, on on all the social channels, man, uh, just TJ Winfrey with the uh, Noval, so W N F R Y. Uh, so, uh check me out yeah, Twitter, um uh, LinkedIn, uh Instagram, all, all the different platforms out there, um, and uh, happy to connect, man. I, I really, you know, I really enjoy giving back um, in the sports industry um, because I, I know how difficult it is to to make it on the on the business side and just to even get folks to respond to you sometimes. So um, I, I try to be liberal with my time, and uh, yeah, feel free to connect. Now you heard it here first. Make sure you follow up. Um, you got anything before? I'll close out. Nope, that's it. Appreciate you coming on, TJ. Man, I'll definitely be tapping in with you for some DCFC stuff. Um, maybe some potential two cents sports collaboration. So we'll tap in offline on that. Let's do it, man. Love the shirt, man. Again, thank you for wearing that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> thank you all for having me. It's been a pleasure. Nah, most definitely. So yeah, so you got TJ rocking DCFC gear. You got L. I don't know. His soccer collection is crazy. He's rocking DCFC <laughs> gear. I'm rocking the Two Cents hat, as you know. Um, check out our merch at twocentsports.shop. It helps support the show. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on all the socials at Two Cents FC. Um, our numbers are growing, so thank you, family. Your support has been amazing. And tweet us your comments on the show and any topics you want me or L to, to any topics you want me or L to discuss. My apologies on that. You know, uh, I was just so excited. I was going to tell you we have a whole bunch of guests coming up, so. Uh, make sure you guys tune in and, sure. and TJ. And before we close out, 
uh definitely check out those support hbcu soccer um the soccer drop that we just did on our shop that goes directly to um hbcu id camp so portions of the proceeds portions of the proceeds from um those shirts and hoodies will go towards hbcu id camp which is a camp um our guy avery parker is putting together to help recruit and um, bring awareness for players to um attend hbcu hbcus and play in their soccer program so good a good uh, a good cause there want to definitely raise the profile continue to you know have more get more black kids into the game but also you know bolster the hbcus and their soccer programs as well that's what it's all about Love that, that's man. it there. Yeah, I love so, that. That's yeah. it, y'all. Until next week. Peace out. All right, brother.